Hi, and welcome to episode 62 of No Crying in Baseball, the Throw Like a Girl episode. My name's Patty, and I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. My one observation from this past week is that Wyoming appears to suck. I think Wyoming sucks. Wait, wait, hold on. You can't be writing off an entire state. I won't stand for that. Tell me why. Because they're and apparently they're anti-baseball. They are the only state in the lower 48. Okay, so Alaska and Hawaii have an excuse for this because they're too far to play with other teams. But Wyoming does not have any baseball team of any minor league level nor independent league. And they stand alone in the lower 48 and therefore... I am very sad about Wyoming. Okay, so I don't think Wyoming sucks so much as they need our help. Oh. Can we can we frame this a different way? We support Wyoming and all of its people. We want to bring you baseball. So you let us know how we can help bring baseball to you. Wyoming sucks. That's not nice. It, well, This is why she's a potty mouth. Exactly. Oh, exactly. I didn't say they fucking suck. <sighs> There's no hope here. Yeah. Anyway, today on No Crying in Baseball, we're going to tell you about our Blue Jays and our Mets boyfriends. And just so you know, we have a scooter for scooter swap. And we also are firmly entrenched in our Brandon rut. Let's just call it a rut. But before we go to the boyfriend story, we're going to bring you our special guest, which we're very excited about. We're going to talk with Cami Kidder of the upcoming documentary, Throw Like a Girl. We're really happy today to be welcoming Cami Kidder, the director and producer of a documentary that's going to be coming out really soon about women in baseball called Throw Like a Girl. And we'd like to welcome you and ask you to give us basically your elevator pitch. So what did you t- what do you tell people in general when you have just a couple minutes to explain what this movie is about? Great. Yes. Thank you. Happy to be here myself. Um, Throw Like a Girl is essentially about women and our love of the game of baseball. Because the the culture, society, the world basically tells everyone that baseball is for men, it's for boys, and it's not really something that the girls are supposed to want to play. So women in baseball, our love of the game, because society does not encourage us to love baseball. And in fact, it, it's kind of a hard road. So I thought if I could make a film that would highlight how well women play the game, but also all the other aspects. You know, women empires, women coaches, managers, trainers, groundskeepers, broadcasters, because we deserve every bit of a love of this game as men do. We're with you 100% on that. Did you come into this from a love of baseball as a player or a fan? Or how'd, how'd you get into the baseball aspect of this? Well, I uh, so the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004. Yay. People might remember. <laughs> it was a big deal. Here's the Red Sox <laughs> voice of the podcast. <laughs> 86 years drought, all that sort of thing. So my dad and I went to Red Sox fantasy camp thinking that we would go and play baseball and live at our fantasy and have this great time. And I brought um, a camera crew to film it. It was going to be this lovely little film about a father and a daughter and, and baseball and dreams come true and all of that. And then they didn't really let me play. Mm. <laughs> At the fantasy camp, they didn't let you play? At the fantasy camp. So, oh, wrong on so many levels. So many. And there were 95 guys and me. Wow. And oh, God, I Cammy. think everybody thought it was funny to, like, tell me what to do or tease me or assume that I had no idea how to get dressed or, and they, you know, it's, it's a big chucklehead time, right? Fantasy camp. It's, like, super man cave-ish and, you know, everybody's there because... 
everybody wanted to be a pro baseball player and they want to live out this dream. And some people think they're going to be discovered. They're going to be scouted <laughs> fantasy camp, even though oh, yeah. they're a 45 year old insurance salesman. <laughs> um, they think that somehow they got missed and this is going to change it. And me somehow being on the field was ruining that because I just didn't belong there. So you were stealing and their thunder. You were distracting them. I don't, I think it was just, if you can do it, as a woman, then that diminishes my accomplishments. Oh, so I'm less special. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. You know, um, even though eight-year-old boys and eight-year-old girls play baseball too, but I don't know. That was just the vibe that I got. And, you know, some people weren't outright mean. They were just like the constant ribbing and the jokes. And it's just like, this is exhausting. There are 95 of you. And it's just me. <laughs> I could it's pay crazy. attention to somebody else. I just want to play baseball. Um, and so I just started thinking, I can't be the only woman who prefers baseball. So maybe I should go talk to some people and find some people like me. And maybe that would make me feel better about spending five grand to have a really bad time. <laughs> wow. So I guess this is clearly before they started doing the women's fantasy camp. How long, That's been like three years, I think. Do you know? I think this will be the fourth year. Okay. Yeah. Have you gone back? Have you done the women's camp? I was actually thinking about doing it this year. Oh, do it. Um, and kind of bookending the film because the film will start out with me at the camp and, and the ribbing and the teasing and some, you know, the sexist comments and things. And then I thought it might be kind of nice to end it with the, the sisterhood of baseball. Um, but it's quite a bit of money and I'm not really sure. So I may, I'm, that's still in, in the flux. But Or add it to your, your fundraising page. That seems like a worthwhile thing. Like if you go back to your funders and say, can you kick in a little bit more for me to go and finish this off, this cycle? I, I bet there'd be some good response. There might be. I don't know. I feel like it's like, hey, would you give me money to go do something fun? Oh, no. I want to get see. Honestly, like I would support that because it sounds like an amazing end to the movie. I mean, I'm really looking forward to the movie, but that sounds like a great cycle. I think what Potty Mouth is really saying here is she wants you to ask for enough funding to send two people (laughs) because she would like to go with you. So you have a friend there. Or maybe we could just be roommates. I mean, we could work something out. So what? Well, if anything I learned about fantasy camp, it's important to have a friend there. <laughs> right. That that sounds like it. It sounds like it. So what, what's your relationship to filmmaking, though? What was it that made you even think of bringing cameras with you to record this experience? Uh, well, actually, Thrill Like a Girl will be my. It's it's technically my second feature documentary. Um, it just feels like I've been working on it forever. So it must be like my eighth at this point. Um, I, I moved to Los Angeles right after 9-11 to pursue acting as a career. Um, I think that was a seminal moment for an awful lot of people where we're like, what am I doing with my life? You know, maybe I should do what I really want to do that makes me happy. And so I moved out here, um, and, you know, ran around and did the whole acting thing for a bit. And then I took this class that had us uh, create an original sketch. And I was like, wow, I, I, I got things to say. I, I think I'm, I'm good at this. I think that I could create my own projects instead of waiting for somebody to let me work in one of their projects. Um, and then, unfortunately, for my acting career, um, I really love 
to know why people do what they do. I love real stories. So I like to turn the camera on and ask people, um, you know, so what's, what's the deal with this? Like, why are you doing this? Why do you care about that? And um, so my first documentary was about self-storage. And that came out in 2005 before storage wars and hoarders and all those kind of things when nobody was really paying attention to it. And, um, and the first film was like concept to funding was like four months. And then we had a, a shortcut that was in festivals in like 13 months. And I'm like, wow, this is really easy. I'm really good at this. <laughs> kind of gave you I a should... skewed view of uh, timetables, huh? <laughs> I should just do this. And um and then some craziness happened with that film and the offer of distribution got withdrawn because I had an investor who, um, whatever, it was an ugly time. And I then I went to graduate school and I got my master's and I did a short about my dad. Um, and then I said, I really got to get back to this women in baseball idea. And everybody, when I was going through my master's program, I was trying to find this story, right? Um and probably the, the I spent $120,000 to learn that there is a huge difference between topic and story. Because mm-hmm. like when you ask me what the film's about, well, it's about women in baseball. Yeah, but what's the story? You know, and for years I was just telling people, yeah, it's about women in baseball. And but the story is my quest to find out why women are shut out of this game. And so that allows me to go to Venezuela for the Women's Baseball World Cup and meet the women's national team and learn that they play baseball in the Netherlands and they played in Hong Kong and they played in Japan and they play all these places. And what's Canada doing and developing their program? And, oh, wait, where they, there were these ladies that played back in World War II years. Oh, I can go hang out with them and I can find out what they think about it. And then I followed this girls team around. Um, you know, who were 11-year-old girls playing in an all-boys tournament season. And what's that experience like for them? And then I kept up with a few of them. So the main story is really about them, their arc, how you go from being 11 to being 19 in this climate and trying to do something that everyone tells you you're not supposed to want to do. And then I'm just kind of there as sort of uh, as I call it, I Michael Moore my way through the film. I kind of like show up places and I'm like, this is what we're talking about now. And then, um, so, but yeah, so that's how it all got started. But what everybody in graduate school kept telling me is I had to go back to this fantasy camp footage because that's where it all started. Right. And that's what makes sense. Like that's the treasure trove. That's those moments that were captured on film um, were very hard for me to go back and process and watch. But it's easier now that I look at it that I'm a character in this movie. This isn't, you know, I can separate what happened to me uh, as a as a person and just say, wow, this is that's a bad day for that character. Wow. <laughs> she does not look yes. like she's having a good time there. And then I don't really need to say anything. There doesn't need to be a heavy-handed Susan Sarandon voiceover, you know, telling <laughs> you about the problems that I hear that she's great in baseball movies. <laughs> You know, if she wants to voice over this film, I'll step aside. But, you know, my people haven't been in touch with her people. We haven't been successful. So, um, so I mean, you, you clearly have a point of view based on your experience. And you, you, you were with all of these different women's teams in different places. Did you find anything that surprised you? Or did everything sort of back up what you already knew, what you already expected to, to find? No. In fact, I think everything surprised me. Um <laughs> Which is great. Um, 
I, I heard a I'm blanket on his name right now, but there's 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 a couple of famous American documentary filmmakers that are not Ken Burns. And <laughs> this man was just speaking at a conference I was at. And he said, if you're editing the same film that you set out to make, you haven't been paying attention. Huh. Um, and I think that's that's, you know, and the other the other advice was, you know, shoot the hell out of everything because you don't know what your your movie's going to be. Um, you can set out like if it's a competition film and you're making a film about, um, you know, that Scrabble one and you're, you're going to follow the competition season at the end, there's going to be a winner. And the only surprise is going to be who it's going to be. Then you can plan that one and script that one much more. But a film like this, where you don't really know the answer, the, the answer to the core question is why aren't women encouraged to play baseball? And I've asked probably 400 people that question and nobody has an answer. <laughs> um, so that's, then that becomes its own answer that there is no good answer for them. So what does that mean? Well, that means like, you know, we got to drill down, you know, it's more than just discrimination. I think it's more than just sexism because I don't think it's conscious. There's something somehow ingrained that, women are conditioned to expect less and men are conditioned to expect more. And this allows us to accept these inequities and just kind of go, yeah, it sucks. It's not fair. I love baseball, but oh, well, instead of saying like these girls are now, which is what's so awesome is these girls are like, no, no, I'm not switching to softball. I don't care about the scholarship. I, I want to play baseball. Find me a way to play baseball, mom and dad. And, you know, they've changed school districts. They've moved states. One girl was here in California and went to college in Maine because it was the only school that said, sure, you can try out for the baseball team. Um, changed the entire trajectory of her life, probably, because of her love of baseball. And I'm hoping when people see this film that they'll go, we need to get out of people's way and, and help them because they're going to do it anyway. But we could make it easier. And why are we not? <laughs> That's fantastic. Right? So are you hopeful for um, the future? Do you feel like we're going to be heading in the right direction at this point with some recent changes and what MLB is doing to encourage women and, and make- baseball for all mm-hmm. and these other organizations? Well, I think, yes, uh, for sure. Hopeful um, for a lot of reasons, because other what other countries are doing is really exciting, too. Um and and if we we have this way in this country to think that we're the best at everything um and if we can kind of shine a light and go hey we have japan japan's had a professional league since 2006 that seems like that's gonna last so maybe we could have a professional league here again you know this this, decade behind that's really sad well, and that's why Japan always wins the World Cup, right. because they actually commit to women's baseball year round. And we kind of half commit to it here for a month, um, you know, and just your know, sheer talent can only get you so far. Um, and it's it makes me so angry because these women feel about baseball probably even stronger than I do, you know, and. And yet they're they're given like very little resources and opportunities and support. And even people showing up and buying a damn ticket, you know, just, and it's not men, you know, that's, that's a real important part of the film that, that I want, you know, to get out there is that this is not women saying men stuff film. 
this is women saying, you know, society is really messed up when it comes to this. And and women are 50% of society. And if we want to change something, we can change it, but we're not. So why are we not changing it? You know, why don't women show up and support the WNBA and the Women's Soccer League and and demand and, and write letters and say, I want to see this on television. And we just kind of accept that it's not. Oh, well, they just say men don't care. You know, ESPN says nobody cares about women's sports. Eh, well, and we, we're not active. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's kind of, that's that's puts the fire in my belly is this whole thing of like, it's we're not trying to point fingers and blame people. We're just trying to wake people up to see there's a better way. Or maybe there's another way or or something, you know, just just think about it. Um, why don't why have we decided we don't care about this? <laughs> yeah, so, Cami, what I'm thinking is we need to get you in a room with us with a bunch of adult beverages so we can talk for about three hours, because I love what you're talking about. <laughs> and I think we have a lot in common yeah. about how we want to move forward with this. But because we don't have time to do that right this very second, we want to wrap up with you telling us what are your next steps and when can we see the documentary? And what we can do to and what support we can do you, to help you, to help right. you out. Awesome. Um, so yes. So right now we are in the post-production phase. We ran that Kickstarter in November and we made our goal, which was super exciting. Um, and so that's going to give me the resources to, to hire in some people to, to do things that I can't do. I can do a lot, you know, I can shoot, I can edit, I can, you know, but as far as like writing a song and, um, and being like an actual outside eyes story editor stuff. So that's what we raise that money for. Um, so the plan is now for me to spend the next two to three months just editing all the footage down into scenes. And then it becomes kind of puzzle pieces. And then I bring in this expert who's won- actually won the Oscar for editing. And um, he's done 20 Feet wow. from Stardom and The Hunting Ground and really big films. Well done. And he cares about this film, which is exciting. You know, that I've met him at a couple conferences and he's just like, yeah, this is new. This is fresh. Let's 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 do this. Awesome. Um, and so then the plan would be you'll have a finished cut, you know, somewhere in the spring. And then start submitting it to festivals, because if you get into a big festival, then, you know, then you get good reviews and then um, distributors want to pick it up. And then it's on Netflix or it's on Amazon or it's on HBO. Um, But the other avenue, which is not necessarily an either or, is to just do a, a community screenings bus tour with the film. And and go to the cities and the towns, especially where where these girls are you know, that are, that are playing baseball and, and hopefully get some local news coverage. And, but the thing I want to do with the film more, more than anything is just to let all these girls know that they're not alone and they're not weird and they're not troublemakers and they have the right to do this. And hopefully if they're feeling and getting objections and feeling all these, these pressures that they can see other people on the screen that are not bowing to that and maybe decide you know, draw some strength from that is the plan. That is is so fabulous. We are 100% behind you. And please come to the D.C. area. And we actually have a really lovely community center here in Tacoma Park. And Patty here has some connections. We show documentaries there. I bet we could work something out. So stay in Sweet. touch on that. Thank you so Might much. Might even do a, um, 
a work in progress screening when I think I've got a final final cut Actually, and then get an audience in there and then get some feedback before we finalize. I, I hope I'm not miss, miss You are not. We can I, totally help you with this. That would be really awesome. Cami, thank you so very much. This is really cool what you're doing. We're really happy that you're doing it and you're speaking for a lot of people here. So we wish you the best of luck and thanks for hanging out with No Crying in Baseball. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was really fun. Thank you, Cami. Now on to boyfriends. We're starting with the Blue Jays. I actually am invoking a corollary to the baseball boyfriend rule, which you approved. And that under is duress. under duress. Mm. And that is that I get to keep baby Pina, also known as La Pinita by his by his older brother. Which is different than Pinata, although when I read it quickly on our notes, I thought, <laughs> no, that can't be right. <laughs> that would be a really bad thing. I'm talking about Lourdes Guriel Jr. And that junior is a very important thing. He is currently playing second base, although they're trying to branch out for the Blue Jays. And the the main reason why I picked him, I've got to say, it's the hair. It's the hair. It's that piña hair. And when his brother had it on the Astros and watching them in the World Series two years ago, I just was kind of stricken with every time he took off that batting helmet and the hair flew and I noticed the same thing with the baby brother with Toronto last do we, year. Do we need to define piña for those who may be new to the show? Oh, good point. It's pineapple. And the hair resembles it because it's kind of shaved on the sides. And it's just lovely and very straight and flowy on the top. And both of them wear, and I'm doing hand gestures, so everybody's laughing To make at it clear street, for all right? of our listeners. <laughs> right. I'm really good with this audio stuff. They have these headbands, which I'm miming right now, that sort of hold anything else down so that the top flowing locks get to sort of shake around. And so that's, yeah, that's my guy. That's my number one criteria, but I have a few more things to say about him. He comes from the Cuban baseball's first family. And a few weeks ago, I got to talk about Victor Mesa, Victor, Victor Mesa, with the the Marlins, so many Victors, so many Mesas with the Marlins, and how he came from this baseball family in Cuba. And Guriel seems to be that sort of exponent level that his father was even known as the Babe Ruth of Cuba. And for good reason, he batted 323 over 1,700 games in the Cuban National Series, which is their national league. And I kept getting confused with that series word, but they use it. So I guess I'm going to use it. They were actually on the same team in the 1992 Olympics, which won a gold medal, the the baseball Cuban national team at the Olympics, Victor Mesa and... Yeah, so sorry, two two steps back. Victor Mesa and Lourdes Guriel Sr., the father of Baby Pina and Big Pina. Um, and one more. Actually, there are three of them. There's Unieski, Yulieski, and Lourdes. And this kind of fascinates me because those are very Russian-sounding names. So that you would think that that would be from a very Cuban nationalist kind of family under Castro and the ties from Russia. And yet the two younger kids end up defecting, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But a little bit back to their their boyhood in Cuba, growing up in baseball, growing up with this amazing father who is renowned across the leagues, they had to watch five innings of baseball a day before they could do anything, before they could go out and play. The father, and it wasn't just watching. Like they televised just, or in person? Yeah, okay, uh, wow. I, somehow, they whatever baseball there was, it televised. So it, probably Cuban national games, the father would sit them down for five innings minimum, 
And they didn't just watch, but they analyzed with their fathers. So they grew up really studying the game. At one point, I guess Lourdes Jr., the the little guy that I'm talking about, he was having some problems with his swing. So his father hung a mirror so that he could watch himself swing, but he hung it at exactly the distance that the bat should be extending. So if he overextended, he would break the mirror and have to report to his mother. (laughs) And somehow the mirror did not get broken. Neither did the windows of the house when they were playing some defensive games with from throwing. He had a, a, a round target basically painted on the house between two windows that the kid had to throw at and not hit the window or you get the wrath of mom. And that was the threat behind it. So I'd really like to know about Mrs. Guriel. And and they still loved baseball. I would think they'd be scared to death of baseball with growing up like this. Somehow all three of them ended up being emotional, intense, passionate players. So the oldest one, Unieski, just played in Cuba for years in the Cuban National League. Yulieski, according to our friend Alfredo from Con las Bases Llenas podcast, who gave me a little bit of inside info, was the ultimate player in Cuban National Baseball, just the number one. And Lourdes is 10 years younger. So the two of them together were playing in the 2016 Caribbean series in the Dominican Republic, and they defected. And the part that fascinates me about this the most is that the smuggler got paid over a million dollars. And that means that these guys were so good that the smuggler knows that they're about to make multi-million dollar contracts. You know, so it's paid in installments and... That's worth a lot of money. They got smuggled from the Dominican Republic to Haiti, had to hang out there long enough to establish whatever residency was important to get drafted into MLB. Uh, Yuli was older. So this is our Astros hero who was on the Astros World Series team. And he went right to the Astros. And apparently after this record in Cuban National Baseball, there was a good reason for that. Whereas Lourdes Pinita he was not yet 23. So he actually had to hang out for a while, not playing, because when you turn 23, then you're exempt from the international spending limits. At that point, he was immediately awarded seven years, $222 million with the Blue Jays. God. Yeah. And he was in the minors because he was younger. And they were actually trying to to foster him as, as a utility kind of person because he had outfield experience. They needed a second base. He liked shortstop. So he was going to do a little bit of everything. And last year, and this is how I wound up with him as my boyfriend without talking about him, my real boyfriend last year, Josh Donaldson, got injured and then got traded. And I don't remember which one of those I got rid of him on, but at some point I had to get rid of him and get Lord of this. But he was a lot of fun last year. He's the first Blue Jays rookie to homer in three consecutive plate appearances. He had the longest rookie streak ever of multi-hit games. And I remember following this and he got up to 11. And unfortunately, what ended it was a sprained ankle and going on the DL. So that kind of sucks. He started the season getting used to the major leagues, batting 206 in his first 20 games, but he ended with 305 in his last 44. What he has to work on, and I'm going to be watching you this year, Pinita, <laughs> is his zone issues. He stri- he swings at everything. He has a really bad per- high percentage of swinging at shit outside the zone, 
and he only got nine walks last year. So let's hope that next year's a little bit better. The other cool thing he did last year with his brother is they are the first brothers in MLB history with multi-homer games the same night, which was November 21st, and they... Or maybe September. Uh Shit, November. That would wow. That's Where the did off that come season. From? So they I may have done it, but they, no, nobody's they, watching it then. Right. All right. Repeat. No <laughs> September. It's those ember months that just get <laughs> me. Hardly any of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It was toward the end of the year, <laughs> and then <laughs> a couple of days later, they faced each other, and it did not end well because Pinita got a hamstring injury. That kept him out the rest of the season. So I hope they get to face each other more next year. I'm excited about this guy. I'm going to be following him. Yeah, that's it. So even though Baby Pina has enough stories behind him for two, <laughs> I'm still going to call my own boyfriend. And it's going to be Luke Maley, who is right now the backup catcher, and he's 27 years old. And it's only partially because multiple news organizations have used the headline, The Maley Man delivers. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I'm going with that one. I'm also choosing him because of our stupid, stupid boyfriend rules that don't allow me to keep Ben attendee. Oops. I need, I know, I know, but we agreed to these. I don't know why. We must have been drinking. That never happens. Mm-hmm. So I still need sort of a Cincinnati neighborhoody based guy that plays for a team that's not the Reds. And Luke Maley fits that bill. He went to high school at Covington Catholic High School in Kentucky, which is just over the river from Cincinnati. And then he went to the University of Kentucky. So the Cincinnati folks call him one of their own. So I'm going to go with that, too. He played football and basketball as well as baseball in high school. And so did his dad. And his dad went on to play football at the University of Kentucky, even though Luke went on to play baseball at the University of Kentucky. So they kind of have a family tradition of the multi-sports and then to, to play college ball. He was drafted in the eighth round by the Tampa Bay Rays in 2012 out of the University of Kentucky, was there for several years, and then was claimed off waivers in April of 2017 by the Blue Jays. Remember waivers from last week? I bet you do. He had a clutch season. All of his big numbers were in clutch situations, which is different than when he first got started. This is new for him. They used to sub him out. They used to pinch hit for him when it was like, oh, it's late late innings and there's people on base and we need to get a hit to get a win. Let's pull him out. They're leaving him in now because he's getting those hits. But the most interesting thing about him for me is his defensive work as a catcher. So the Blue Jays have their, their first string catcher, their starting catcher, Russell Martin. But they're talking about possibly trading him. Luke Maley has been his backup. They've also got a new guy. They've got this, this, this new young guy, Danny Jansen, who they see as their catcher of the future. So he's, so Luke is kind of in the middle between these guys. So if, if Russell Martin goes, he will move up. But there, if you subscribe to the athletic, look up this really cool interview with both, um, Russell Martin and Luke Maley about catching and the relationship between catchers and umpires because it's really very cool they're talking about how you build up a rapport a rapport with the umpire 
how you don't show them up. And Maley talks about, you know, we talk a lot about how you frame pitches as a catcher. You try to pull them in if they're a little bit outside so they look like strikes. He doesn't believe in that. See, don't be obvious about that because if you're clearly pulling in balls that aren't that, that aren't strikes and make it looks like you're trying to fool or mess with. He didn't say mess with because he's a little bit of a potty mouth. Hey, he probably said fuck with. He did, but I'm not going to because okay. I'm classier than that potty mouth. You can just point at me. I can just point at you to fill in the there blanks. But I don't want to hear those those words. But he said, you know, that's disrespectful to the umpire, right? You don't want to be that guy who's trying to trick the umpire. You want to build this report. They also talked about the pop of a ball hitting the mitt when you catch it solidly and it makes that pop sound, you're more likely to get the call in your favor because it sounds like it must have been a strike because it must have been down the middle because it made that sound. So catching the ball cleanly is important, even if it's a little bit outside, because the umpire might call it your way because of that sound. Um, what I liked was, in, so this is a backup guy, right? But he still says, would I rather be known as the nicest guy out there or the most honest guy out there? That's a no-brainer. You can be honest and direct and not be a dick all at the same time. That should be expanded. That should probably be painted on locker room walls. Everywhere. I think. Everywhere. Yeah. So he is married to Paige, and they just had a baby, Evelyn Charles Maley, back in August, which is pretty great. Cute baby. And they're not um, sharing a lot of baby pictures. I had to work hard for these baby pictures, but they're worth it because it's a cute little kid. My favorite... Um, sort of Luke Maley adjacent activity. He wasn't responsible for this, but there were a bunch of fans back in June when the Blue Jays were, you know, began their tanking of the season. They said, okay, we could just wallow in tanking. We could sit around and wait for Vlad Jr. to get called up to the majors, or we could have some fun. Let's have some fun. Let's have a write-in campaign to get Luke Maley into the All-Star game. And of course it failed, but it was a lot of fun for everybody involved. And he had, he, he had a good outlook on it. So he's got a sense of humor. He's got a cute baby. He's a little bit of a potty mouth. And he's the catcher. And catchers are cool. So Luke Maley is my guy in the Blue Jays. He gets my vote. Going on to the National League. This week we have the Mets. I have found that Mets fans are bitter. They are very bitter and very hesitant to actually say anything good about the team. So you guys, you got to cheer up a little bit. You've got some interesting folks here besides your pitching. I know you're happy about the pitching. But we also have... Michael Conforto, who is known as Scooter. So I get a Scooter this year. I'm actually pretty excited about this. You had Scooter last year. I'm glad that you're bringing like the, the Scooters back into balance since I have to lose my Scooter. Balancing on a Scooter. It's all about that, right? So I got this Scooter who has a fascinating history. So he's his last name is Conforto. On his mother's side, he has Spanish and Hawaiian heritage and Italian on his father's side. His mother is an an Olympic-level synchronized swimmer. She got the gold in 1984 for the U.S. in both duet and solo. And here's where you got to help me. What the fuck is solo synchronized swimming? Isn't synchronized like you go with someone else? I think so. I think they just didn't know what to do with it because they would call it like artistic swimming, but I don't find it all that artistic. So I think maybe they're just synchronized with the music. So she did well, and she got a <laughs> silver solo in 88, and she knows what it's like to be a top-level competitor. So when Scooter is looking for a little bit of no motivation, a little bit of a boost, some honest advice, he goes to his mom, and his mom texts him at those key moments before games or when he's stressing out about his performance, go to mom. So there is a baseball boyfriend vote, a guy who goes to his mom for advice. 
His dad, also an athlete, he he played football for Penn State and was in all those bowls. He was in the Fiesta Bowl and the Gator Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, Not, not in my cereal bowl. But he was bowling. Not in the way Mookie bets, but he was bowling. Uh, but send it, help. <laughs> it was it was influential to Scooter because he realized that football can mess you up. So even though he was a three sports player in high school, plus good academics because of this wonderful parenting, he thought, eh, "I don't think I'm going to continue with the football." My dad had seven knee surgeries. He went baseball. And ended up getting injured incredibly in baseball. He got a pitch to the eye, which landed him in the ER when he was still in youth baseball. In Little League, he broke his ankle, sliding into second base. His mom was probably like swimming. There's nothing hard in swimming. You should do that. But no, he fouled a ball off his shin when he was in college that for weeks hurt. But of course, he played through it to get to the finals. And then when they were out of the finals, he went and got some treatment paid off. He was a first-round pick for the Mets in 2014, and he has an interesting championship streak in him. He was on the 04 champion Little League World Series team. He was on the 13 champion College World Series team, and then he was actually brought up enough with the Mets in 15 to be on the World Series. See, Mets fans, it wasn't that long ago. So he is only the third player after Ed Vosberg, who I'd never heard of before, and Jason Veritek, who's a Red Sox catcher from 2004, only the third guy to do that, to be in all those World Serieses. He uh, had a little bit of a rough time with a dislocated shoulder in 2017 after a very hot year where he was the first met with four multi-run games in leadoff position a season. There's a stat for that. And the second tw- second youngest hit 20 home runs before the end of July after your former boyfriend, Wright. He uh, bounced back last year after the break. He was doing really well, 345 in last September. But the thing that really just iced the cake for him being boyfriend material is his Conforto Cares group, which supports kids who are going through treatment for cancer, pediatric cancer. And he brings them to the ballpark where they get to not only watch a game, but also tour the park, have batting practice, have lunch with him personally, and he goes to visits them. So he puts his own self into his charity work. This is my guy. I'll forgive him for liking Jeter as his idol. Yep. I'm going to pile on to the Brandon rut that we've had going for the past couple weeks. It wasn't my rut. It was potty mouse rot, but yet I'm claiming it as my own this week. So I'm taking Brandon Nimmo, center fielder, age 25, as my Mets boyfriend. He was able to shine because of potty mouse boyfriend having those injuries, because that's when he got called up and was able to show his stuff in center field. These guys are both center fielders, right? Mm. Um, I think Nimmo's going to end up on a corner this year. We'll see what happens there. He is uh, referred to as, you know, that smile guy. And again, I have to give up Lindor because of stupid, stupid boyfriend rules. So I have to replace him with another smile guy. Potty Mouth posted the um, the list of the best smiles in the in the major leagues to our Facebook page. So you can find those there and check them off. We've got lots of them now. Now we're up to eight. We're up to eight. So Brandon is from that state of Wyoming, which we sort of, <laughs> which I tried to prevent. Oh. Yeah, I tried to prevent Potty Mouth from writing off completely because he did, in fact, play baseball. He went to Cheyenne East 
high school in Wyoming, they did not, in fact, have a baseball team. So we played American Legion ball for post six, right? So the American Legion um, League was actually big there because there were no high school baseball teams. Um, He also played football and ran track. So this is actually kind of cool that we have all of these guys who are playing a bunch of different sports. You find now the kids are being brought up playing the same sport all year round. If If it's not the season for the sport, they're in winter clinics or summer clinics for that sport. And they're not as good all around as they could be. All of these guys, they've got the all around athletic thing going on. And I really like that. He was introduced to a scout from the Mets when he was 11 because his older brother, Bryce, was pretty good. At baseball, yeah, a different Bryce. Uh, different uh. Bryce. So at a May baseball game in Cheyenne, in the snow, in May, the scout from the <laughs> Mets was chatting with his family behind him while watching this kid Bryce. The family behind him was, in fact, the Nimmo family, including our pal Brandon. And Captain? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. And they weren't finding him either. Oh. It's Nimmo. Thank you oh. very much. Okay. But anyway, so the, the, the Met Scout befriended them. So he stayed in touch and kind of kept his eye on Brandon as well as Bryce. Bryce did well in college. Brandon is the one that was really going to take off. His dad said that um, when it was time for for Brandon to hit the draft, 26 out of 30 teams visited their home in Cheyenne. And as as Potty Mouth pointed out, there aren't a lot of baseball reasons to be in Wyoming. So they really wanted him. So that was pretty cool. He became, he was the heart and hustle guy for the Mets in 2018, which we have referred to as the Boyfriend Award. So how could I turn that down? He was an absolute breakout star this year um, when he got the chance to kind of fill in for Conforto and then kind of take off on his own. He was second place to a lot of good guys in in different ways. His his on-base percentage was second only to Joey Votto. And being second to Joey Votto in anything is really pretty damn good. And his weighted runs created plus We're going to talk about that at a later date. There's a lot of math involved in that one, but it's basically how many runs you cause to happen. And the plus is adjusted for ballparks and those kinds of things. That is second only to Christian Yelich, who was the MVP for the National League. He's also first in something. Hit by pitch. 22 (laughs) times, right? Ouch, ouch. He crowds the plate, but he does it on purpose because he feels like he covers the plate better. He can control what he's swinging at better if he's closer in. So he doesn't have to reach for those pitches that are actually in the strike zone, but they're kind of farther away. But does he have a very high pain tolerance? He has a lot of padding. As it turns out. And his coaches say he doesn't have any fear at all. Um, this may have come from the family tradition back in Wyoming. His father <laughs> his father grew up on a ranch. The family tradition was when your kid is five or six years old, you have them ride a calf and see if they get tossed or not because they all have these rodeo dreams. And it's like giving your kid a sip of beer and hoping they hate it so it turns them off alcohol for a very long time. So he puts... Brandon on this calf, he gets thrown immediately, and Brandon's tough kid, he gets back up, hiding the tears, gets back up on that calf, gets thrown again immediately, gets stepped on by the calf, and says, okay, I'm out. Fuck this. (laughs) Fuck this. But so he adjusted and went to baseball. So we're good for that. But more things on the on the boyfriend side. One of the the bloggers who covers the Mets says he plays every game completely consumed with an endearing combination of joy and awe. He just feels lucky to be there and he's happy to be there. He runs out walks 
to first base because he's a player, man, and he's he he feels blessed and excited to be there. That's impressive. He played Santa for the City Field holiday party this year. And my favorite thing is he and his wife, Chelsea, adopted a rescue puppy named Jake, and he swears it's not after Jacob deGrom. The puppy came with the name Jake. So rescue puppy, Santa, what's not to like? So Brandon Nimmo is my guy for the Mets. That totally works. We're taking next week off for the holidays. But when we come back, we will be talking about the Phillies. And because of a math problem, because math is hard, the Texas Rangers, because we skipped right over them. And I've also been uh, misfocused because I have not given you the spring training countdown. We need to start counting down the days. As of right now, while we're recording, we have 58 days, 7 hours, 21 minutes, and a matter of seconds. That doesn't seem long at all. That's awesome. Y'all better hurry up and subscribe and review and tell your friends about No Crying in Baseball. And until next week, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Goodnight, Potty Mouth. Potty Mouth.